Shanghai is on its way toward a new round of mass testing. There's fear the city is headed back under a new lockdown. Taiwan takes another step toward tackling intellectual property theft. This time, the island is taking aim at a Chinese apple supplier. A high-level Taiwanese delegation visits the Czech Republic. The country's leader is seeking closer ties to China, but is facing pushback. And another Western nation is warning against data risks through TikTok. But what makes that data collection so critical? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. China could soon face more lockdowns and mass testing mandates. That's with its zero COVID-19 policy still taking a major toll on the country's economy. Several large Chinese cities, including Shanghai, are rolling out new measures to counter a new cluster of COVID-19 infections. In northern Tianjin, a coastal metropolis with more than 13 million residents, authorities have ordered citywide mass testing. That's after detecting two new virus cases. Across the country, over 40 cities are under full or partial lockdowns. Those restrictions impact over 250 million residents and over 18 percent of China's economic activity. And that's a decline from a week ago when over 30 cities were put under lockdown, accounting for over 17 percent of the economy. The data comes from analysis by a Japanese investment bank. Most countries are exploring tactics for living with the virus in low numbers. But Beijing still enforces a strict zero-COVID-19 policy. That is to eliminate outbreaks as soon as they emerge through isolation and mass testing. Local officials have been instructed to take tougher measures to stamp out the infection completely, even at the cost of economic growth. Right now, China's unemployment rate is hitting a record high. At the same time, the housing market is grappling under stress, and weak consumer spending persists. Back to China's most populous city, Shanghai is now planning to hold mass testing in several of its districts, as well as in some smaller areas with new infections reported recently. That's even though the city hasn't fully recovered from its harsh two-month lockdown in spring. A related notice from local officials reads there is still an epidemic risk at the community level so far. Shanghai reported over a dozen new infections as of Monday, but none were found outside quarantined areas. Shanghai began to ease its lockdown last month, but still mandated residents to get tested every three days in order to take public transportation or enter public spaces. China's economy contracted sharply in the second quarter. The decline highlights the colossal toll on activity from widespread COVID-19 lockdowns and points to persistent pressure over the coming months from a darkening global growth outlook. Here's more. China's economy contracted sharply from April to June as the country's zero-COVID policy took its toll, falling back 2.6 percent in the second quarter compared to the first, according to official data on Friday. That was one of the worst showings for the world's second-largest economy since the data series began in 1992. The numbers highlight the serious cost that widespread lockdowns have taken on the economy as Beijing pursues its tactics to fight COVID-19 amid fresh flare-ups. Friday's numbers surpassed expectations for a more modest 1.5 percent decline. On a year-on-year -year basis, GDP in Q2 grew 0.4 percent, 
missing a forecasted 1% gain, according to a Reuters poll of analysts. Full or partial lockdowns were imposed in major centers across China in March and April, including a two-month lockdown in the commercial capital Shanghai. Retail sales showed signs of improvement in June after those curves were lifted. Still, analysts do not expect a rapid economic recovery. The arrival of the highly contagious BA5 variant has also heightened concerns about a prolonged period of uncertainty. Friday's results also point to persistent pressure over coming months from a darkening global growth outlook. Fears of a global recession are mounting as policymakers jack up interest rates to curb soaring inflation. That means more hardship on consumers and businesses worldwide as they grapple with challenges from the Ukraine war and supply chain disruptions. Taiwan is boosting its efforts in countering intellectual property theft by China. The island took aim at a Chinese company and Apple supplier on Friday, accusing it of stealing trade secrets from a Taiwanese supplier. Authorities say the goal was to quickly enter Apple's production chain and win orders. Taiwan said it found that China's luxury precision industry lured workers from Taiwanese competitor Catcher Technology. It makes cases for Apple iPhones and iPads. Taiwanese prosecutors said that Luxshare promised the workers high salaries and stole business secrets, causing big losses for Catcher. Fourteen people have been charged. Reuters reports that neither Luxshare nor Apple have responded to requests for comment. The move is the latest of its kind by Taiwan since May. That's when Taiwanese authorities raided 10 Chinese companies suspected of poaching microchip engineers. These companies were operating in Taiwan without approval. Taiwan's parliament speaker is visiting the Czech Republic for a four-day trip. High on the agenda, China and the Ukraine war. The official's visit comes two years after Czech Senate chairman came to the island to show the country's support for democracy and freedom. Here are the details on the latest visit. Any free and democratic country has to keep its sovereignty and independence. It has to care about its territorial integrity. It must not to get under the dependence of any other country, above all a totalitarian one. Czech Senate Chairman Milos Vistrachil met a parliamentary delegation in Taiwan and Prague on Monday. It's headed by Parliament Speaker Yu Si Kun. Discussing the threat of totalitarian regimes, Vistrachil noted European countries' dependence on Russian oil and gas and how it leads to them not being able to fully support Ukraine. Similar dependence on China seems to be present in the Czech Republic, too. Market research shows that major cell phone service providers in the country mostly relied on Chinese telecom giant Huawei while setting up their 4G networks. That has made it difficult to abandon Huawei equipment in their 5G networks. It's common for operators to work with the same vendor for both 4 and 5G to improve equipment performance. Though the Czech Republic didn't ban Huawei like many other countries, its cybersecurity agency did issue a formal warning against Huawei and another Chinese telecom gear company, ZTE, citing national security. In the Monday meeting, Taiwan's parliament speaker expressed gratitude to its Czech counterpart. Mr. Vistirichil wasn't afraid to heroically bring a Czech delegation to Taiwan. By this decisive act supporting democratic values, he has fought the acts of Chinese communist wolf diplomacy. 
underline Taiwan's contribution to world democracy, raise the important role Taiwan plays in geopolitics, and help the world to realize where Taiwan's values are. Czech President Milo Zeman has sought closer ties with the Chinese Communist regime for years, but his efforts suffered after investment plans between the two countries failed. More recently, the parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee unanimously passed a resolution to quit a China-led platform for cooperation with Central and East European states. Only 14 countries have formal diplomatic ties with Taiwan. Many others, including major Western countries, have de facto embassies in Taiwan, which are often termed as trade offices. Over in South Asia, Sri Lanka is negotiating with China for as much as $4 billion in aid. The country is confident that Beijing will agree at some point. That's according to what Bloomberg News reported on Friday, citing Sri Lanka's ambassador to China. The diplomat told Bloomberg that his country is asking China for a loan of $1 billion. The money would be used to repay an equivalent amount of Chinese debt due this year. He urged China to agree and added that his country has made similar requests to other creditors. Sri Lanka needs the funding to stabilize its financial system. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen stressed the issue on Thursday. She called China a very important creditor for Sri Lanka and suggested that if China chose to help restructure Sri Lanka's debt, it would likely benefit both parties. China is, of course, a very important creditor of Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka is clearly unable to repay that debt, and it's my hope that China will be willing to work with Sri Lanka to restructure the debt. Yellen said she would urge the other G20 member nations to pressure China, urging Beijing to cooperate in that restructuring for countries in debt distress, including Sri Lanka. During the Group of Seven summit late last month, U.S. President Biden announced a $20 million assistance package for Sri Lanka, which will aim to strengthen food security in the country. Last month, India signaled that it's willing to go beyond the $4 billion it already loaned and sent as aid to Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka defaulted on its $51 billion of international debt in May after years of heavy borrowing and tax cuts by the government. Coming up, the U.S. isn't the only country taking aim at TikTok. Australia is joining the chorus of concerns over the short video sharing platform. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Another government is expressing concerns over TikTok. According to the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the Australian treasurer said TikTok users need to be careful and recognize the risks of using the platform. His comment came after TikTok admitted its employees in China could have access to data stored in Australia. But he's not the only one taking issue with the Chinese video sharing platform. Australian Senator James Patterson previously sent a letter to TikTok's Australia division. He brought up recent BuzzFeed reports, saying TikTok data that's stored in the U.S. is still accessible in China. Patterson wrote, Australian TikTok users deserve to know whether their private information is equally exposed. 
The company's Australian director of public policy later responded, saying our security teams minimize the number of people who have access to data and limit it only to people who need that access in order to do their jobs, wherever they're based. TikTok Australia stated it never provided Australian user data to the Chinese regime, adding it had never been asked to either. But concerns still linger. That's because all Chinese-owned companies are obligated by Chinese law to hand over data to the communist regime if Beijing requests it. As to why data is so important... And in an age where data is a commodity, whoever controls the data controls markets. In an age where data is a weapon, whoever controls data can win the artificial intelligence arms race or engage in complex and challenging practices of surveillance, corporate espionage, and censorship on the internet. TikTok is owned by ByteDance, a multinational internet technology company headquartered in Beijing. How is Washington tackling supply chain issues linked to China? And what can the average American do to help? Congressman French Hill breaks it down and explains why he believes China shouldn't be considered a developing country anymore. Congressman Hill, thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. So let's begin kind of with the supply chains, especially after COVID. It seems the supply chain issue, especially with China, has been in the forefront. And you've spoken before in the past about China's lack of transparency mm-hmm. around the supply chain. So do you see anything changing in that regard going forward? I do. I think I see it in the public sector and the private sector. The pandemic and Russia's uh, illegal invasion into the Ukraine have been a real wake-up call to global firms in Europe and in the United States and in Japan. Where's our supply chain? Do we have a secondary source of supply? And what about just-in-time inventory in our region? So this is a major change in the private sector, in my view, and China is definitely now a weakened spot for the supply chain. This is on top of the human rights issues. This is just purely the fact that there's no rule of law. It's authoritarian state. They've turned away from a plural government. They've turned away from an open market strategy maybe of 30 years ago. And then in the public sector, I think clearly we see that China is not as trustworthy a partner. They're not as committed to uh, the norms and international norms. So I see both public sector and private sector changes in the supply chain for both economic purposes and rule of law purposes, which also affects the human rights violations that we see in some countries, including in China. And in the current environment of geopolitics, where things that happen thousands of miles away does have an effect on every individual, what would be some steps the individual can take? Because kind of right now it seems what happens in China today could actually affect people here tomorrow. So what would be some steps the average Joe can take? Well, uh, the the average American family is uh, paying the price of what goes on around the world every day by virtue of what they pay at the pump and what they pay at the grocery store. So global events and bad policies in the U.S. Uh, both have impact on our families. But what families can do and be conscious of where they're buying their goods, they can encourage uh, people to do business uh, outside China, for example. But as we talked about on the supply chain, I think that's happening big time uh, now. And I think also families can help support uh, through their church, through their civic clubs, uh, organizations that support freedom and religious tolerance, both in China and in Ukraine by 
uh, supporting the church in need, uh, uh, contributions that benefit the families in Ukraine and benefit uh, the public, I'd say the publication of the abuse of faith in both Hong Kong and in China. And you mentioned earlier how, especially after the you know pandemic with the supply chain crisis, every sector has kind of started to take steps to counter that. So what would really need to be implemented to make sure we don't end up with, you know, what happened during COVID, this massive right. supply chain crisis? Well, uh, I introduced a bill in March of 2020 called the SAVE Act, and it was particularly geared that in the Defense Production Act on behalf of the American people that we have a strategy in place for all PPE and all pharmaceutical ingredients and all medical supplies, that we're not dependent on hostile governments for those and that we have a strategic plan of how to turn that um, into action immediately if we need to under the Defense Production Act. But that speaks also just generally to your supply chain question. Uh, China has a disproportionate uh, control over the ingredients, the compounds that go into pharmaceuticals. They might only produce maybe a quarter of them, but they have a, a, a significant influence over the compounds that go into ingredients, both veterinary and human, I might add. So diversifying that supply is important, and I think private business has an incentive to do that. And the public sector, as I say in my bill, which has passed the House twice, it has not been signed into law, uh, would also do for the, for the public sector. We were caught in February of 2020 at low tide with no bathing suit on as it relates to how to handle this public health crisis. And whether it's commodity items like PPE, masks, gowns, or important ingredients like go in our pharmaceuticals, we need to have a diverse supply chain. It doesn't all have to be in the United States, but it needs to be inside friendly countries, Western Europe, um, Canada, the U.S., maybe in our USMCA uh, North American free trade arrangement. One issue that is often brought up is just how we recognize China. So for years, it's, it's a developing country, and many people are saying it shouldn't be. So what's your take on that? Yeah, another uh, excellent question on your part. Well, House Republicans have proposed that China no longer be considered a developing nation for World Bank definition purposes, because China, which is one the largest creditor in the world now. Now think about that. China's the largest creditor in the world. They have loaned the most money to more countries, and yet they're still considered a developing nation under the World Bank, and they get preferential loan status. That makes no sense whatsoever. Secondly, uh, China's terms on those loans as the largest creditor are not transparent. The College of William & Mary has done an outstanding bit of research on how Belt and Road loans to the third world are predatory and really a neo-colonial strategy of impoverishing countries that need credit the most. And so I advocate that all those terms be made public and that the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank don't lend to one of those countries unless China's terms have been made transparent and open to the public. China also needs to join the Paris Club. The Paris Club is a group of sovereign countries that lend money to other nations. And by definition, they do that together under transparent terms and they work out troubled loans together in a transparent way. So there are many things that I would hope that the group of seven countries and the group of 20 would press China to change their policies there. Because while they have some characteristics of a developing nation, 
They are the second largest economy in the world and the largest creditor in the world. Given the kind of economic entanglement between China and the U.S., for years, the U.S. looks at China as a competitor rather than an adversary. But there are, say, more hawkish people who say, during the Cold War, we wouldn't do business with the Soviet Union. So why are we doing business with the Chinese Communist Party? So how do you see that playing out going forward? Well, I do believe that pivot has started, as I noted, uh, prior to the pandemic. But I think it's accelerated since the pandemic, where if China is not going to play by the rules, is going to have military ambitions, military space ambitions, if they're going to do predatory lending on non-transparent basis and they're going to uh, threaten the global uh, norms, then they're not going to be treated as a normal country participating. We inherited Russia and the Soviet Union after the World War II and uh, uh, Stalin started that process immediately after the war. And so the Cold War was put in place until the Soviet Union disintegrated in, in 1990, um, China uh, was, an, was the opposite situation in the sense that Western powers and business thought that China would pivot in the years following 1972, particularly after the mid-1980s, to being uh, a socialist country with a capitalist face and be more open and transparent and participate as a global player. Xi Jinping has turned his back on any ambition that that was true. And again, I would argue both the private sector and the public sector were late to the party recognizing that. But that has changed in the pre-pandemic years and certainly changed since the, since the pandemic. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. Presenting the heritage of traditional Chinese martial arts, promoting martial ethics, and reviving the true tradition. The 2022 NTD International Traditional Chinese Martial Arts Competition Preliminaries will be held in New York and Taiwan. On August 28th, the finals will be broadcast live online worldwide. Registration hotline 188-477-9228. For more information, please visit martialarts.ntdtv.com.